Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. During On the Wing episode 97, listeners met our very own Emily Spoliar, Pheasants Forever's precision ag and conservation specialist in North Dakota. And our listeners heard a wonderful story. It's one of my favorite episodes. Emily's story of mentoring 10 new hunters. Well, a few weeks ago, I reached out to Emily and I had an idea for a podcast based around a, a story she's written for an upcoming issue or edition of the Pheasants Forever Journal. And Emily fired back an even better idea for a podcast episode. So here are Emily's words back to me. A woman I follow on Instagram with her handle, Insta handle being at nuclear.flower started her 2020 season hunting chucker her first upland bird harvest and then she went on to mountain quail her first quail harvest she then moved from california to alaska where she finished the season by shooting her first ptarmigan and spruce grouse she owns a setter named sam that she hunts over and if you ask me, this is Emily, if you ask me, that's a story worth telling when it comes to hunting new species. Today on On The Wing Podcast, we're going to meet the woman behind the Instagram handle Nuclear Flower. Her name's Jennifer Riley, but just like Madonna, she goes by Riley. We're just a one word name, Riley. But first, let's get up to speed I'm showing my age, Emily, aren't I? By by saying Madonna, I should have. <laughs> I thought about. It, I was like, well, I could say Pink, and makes me sound a little bit younger. But uh, what what if I said Halsey? Would that make me a little hip? What Emily? Hey, no? we're we're not here to judge, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, today we're gonna meet Riley. But first, uh, and you've heard her voice already, Emily Spolier a precision ag and conservation specialist in North Dakota and a fellow Michigan native. Um, Emily, how are you doing? Good. I'm very happy to be here today. Um, seems like a lot has happened since the last time we spoke, so we've got a lot to catch up on. <laughs> well, I, you know me. I want to know about Riggins, Riggins and Bridger first. So yes. let's, catch, let's catch up on your bird dogs and if folks missed episode 97 um tell us about who riggins is and who bridger is so bridger is my little uh field bred english cocker spaniel he this will be his fourth season and then riggins is my english setter and this will be his second season uh do a lot of hunting over both of them and then um late this winter kind of early spring started trying out the world of field trials with Riggins. Uh, so that's been a huge learning curve, but we've had a lot of fun doing it. What um, you, you talk about a huge learning curve. Well, 
you know, I haven't done a lot of trials. They're intimidating to me. Is that, was it intimidating? Is that why? Oh, I um, was. The learning curve? Yes, I was extremely intimidated. I, well, a lot of the, the trials are done off horseback for setters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a big barrier for me because I lived in an apartment and I, you know, I used to have horses, but I don't have access to them anymore. And um, Riggins had never seen a horse before. And uh, so I, I first tried to find a walking trial where people are handling their dogs off foot. Um, found one down in Kansas that I went to with him. Uh, and I think it was probably five minutes after pulling into the trial grounds that all of the anxiety that I had built up over this just completely disappeared because I have never met a kinder group of people than what were mm. at that trial. I mean, as soon as we pulled in, it was, hey, uh, you know, do you need to borrow a horse? Do you need to borrow a blank gun? You know, people just tripping over themselves trying to help us. Um, it was incredible. It was, it was, they were so welcoming. So if that's something that you think your uh, German short haired pointers could compete in, <laughs> if you think they could keep up with those setters and, and, uh, and pointers, then you should try it sometime. <laughs> that, that sounded like a challenge, Emily. Well, Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, I, I definitely want to get to Riley, but I want to ask you one more question. I know you, you moved from, um, one place in North Dakota to another. So tell us about the move. And then the fact that you're in North Dakota and it's, you know, the epicenter of the current drought, I want to know kind of what you're seeing from habitat conditions and, and bird numbers. So let's start with, with your own move. Congratulations yeah. on some new digs. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I moved from an apartment in Dickinson, North Dakota, um, down to Regent, North Dakota, which is uh, pretty much in the middle of nowhere. If you've ever been to North Dakota, it is uh, just off of the Enchanted Highway, which <laughs> is a road that has several gigantic metal sculptures as mm-hmm. kind of the um, high point of, of driving down it. And then you get to the town of Regent, which has the Enchanted Castle and Hotel. And um, it's just an area that's very well known for pheasant hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a it's a great place to be. Uh, the, the place I'm living is, I'm just, I'm renting it. I uh, <clears throat> haven't bought it or anything, but uh, it's 1,500 acres of all wildlife habitat, um, beautiful habitat. And uh, I'm very excited to be here. The dogs are very excited to be out of apartment living. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty cool situation. But as far as the, as far as the drought goes, um, seems pretty spotty from what I've seen. Areas yeah. that have gotten some rain visually, you can really, you can tell. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's some places I'll go to where I, I'm scared to pull my truck over on the side of the road because I think, mm. you know, uh, God forbid anything happen and I be the one starting the next wildfire out here. I actually had mm. a fire that came within like 20 yards of my apartment complex earlier this wow. spring. Yeah. So it's areas around here are very, this, the whole state is dry. Some areas are, are much drier than others right here in, in, the Regent area, and I was down in Hedinger a couple weeks ago checking some different habitat plantings that I had helped with. Um, 
in one of those plantings, I was actually able to uh, to flush a, a really nice brood of pheasants. And that was really exciting for me because that's the first time I've been able to go out to habitat planting that I helped with and mm. be able to see that healthy brood of, of pheasant chicks. Uh, so that was a pretty special special moment. But um, no, parts of the state are, are extremely dry um, and they're going to be tough conditions for hunting, I think. But other parts, it's it's not so bad. Mm. And you, you talked about the fear of starting a wildfire. And I think, you know, when you live in North Dakota or you live in some of these drought areas, it you, you sort of hear this and you it's natural to understand what you're talking about. But like, you know, growing up in Michigan, where there was really very rare droughts like this, I like, what do you mean don't drive on the grass? I, so the, the concern is, right, that even your vehicle could throw a spark and on very dry grass and start a wildfire. And that's where um, people have tremendous concern, especially driving out on, on walking um, plots lands or um, wildlife management areas where it's super dry and your vehicle could create a catastrophe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually. So early this morning, there's a lot of field trialers who will come out here to North Dakota in the summer. They have a summer camp where they train bird dogs on the prairies up here. Um, I got up early this morning to kind of just tag along with someone who had a summer camp out here, um, Jack and Fran Miller from Georgia. And they were telling me that at some of the trials, when it gets dry like this, some of the trials out on the prairies, they don't let you have shoes on your horses hmm. because those metal shoes, you know, if they hit a, a rock and cause a spark, um, you know, then you could be in trouble pretty quickly. Wow. All right. So I'm going to have you introduce Riley before we do that. Um, a shout out to South Dakota tourism in South Dakota Game Fishing Parks. Uh, start a South Dakota tradition in the world's greatest place to hunt pheasants. Plan your visit and learn more about Upland Adventures at huntthegreatest.com. All right, Emily. So I read your email back to you, which is probably weird. <laughs> uh, put in your own words how you got connected with Riley and how do you stumbled upon Riley? And then, uh, and then Riley, I swear, we're going to let you talk here. This episode is about you. So uh, no well, go ahead and, and uh, tell us about how you found Riley, Emily. Yeah. So I have been following Riley, uh, admiring her from afar through social media for about a year now. Um, we have several mutual friends who each of us know in real life, not just from social media, but um, <laughs> one of them. Thanks one of for them. the clarification, because I yeah. never know anymore, right? I know. I know. Um, so Robert Jones uh, lived out in, in California, and he and Riley had hunted together a little bit. And he's the one who was like, hey, you should really, you should follow my friend Riley because she's getting into upland hunting and she's a super cool person. And um, so I did. And I mean, I have just been, and I don't think Riley really understands how impressive the things that she does are. 
But being able to follow her has been so much fun because she just casually posts things like, you know, her first upland harvest being a chucker and hunting in chucker country. And and you and I both know how difficult that terrain is. Right. Um, and then, you know, moving up to Alaska and living off the grid and doing a 60 mile canoe trip and riding her motorcycle and, uh, you know, and, and having her bird dog beside her the whole time. And, and just she's such an adventurous person. It's just so fun to follow along on her on her journeys. Um, so that's kind of how we got connected. It was just through social media and just having some shared interest and um, bonding over that and having discussions over that and talking about, you know, how intimidating certain situations can be when you're a new hunter and trying to figure out through trial and error what the heck you're doing. And um, so, yeah, it's it's been it's been a lot of fun getting to uh, follow along and, and see what Riley's been up to. Well, without further ado, you know, with that introduction, Riley, you do sound <laughs> cool enough and badass enough to to have a one word name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so t- tell us about yourself. Where'd you grow up? Uh, and, and welcome to the podcast. Oh, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, you guys gave me a really, really nice introduction that um, I feel like I don't live up to, but thank you. <laughs> um, I grew up in like Los Angeles area in Southern California, actually, um, not from a hunting background at all. Uh, I was like a punk kid in downtown LA for a lot of years of my life and um, had no interest in hunting. I loved outdoors always, but, and dogs, but no interest in hunting whatsoever. Um, fast forward a few years later, I uh, was married to a falconer for a couple years and kind of got introduced into hunting, the hunting world through like falconry a little bit. Um, and then just dogs in general uh, with like a hunting dog relationship with falconry um, and had always admired my ex's like relationship with hunting dogs and falconry. Hmm. Um, yeah. So I was really jealous of that connection and wanted that for myself and ended up researching a little bit and fell in love with the English setter breeds, really because they're super cute, first of all. Um, But glad I picked that breed because they're really great. Um, And then just kind of started the journey into learning how to hunt alongside her so I can get her more time in the field and grow that connection with her. So did you, it sounded like your very first hunt of all time was after Chuckers? Um, Not my very first hunt. I had tried to go after, you know, the easier species, (laughs) like, (laughs) you know, valley quail, pheasants, um, and just not really being able to connect. Um, Actually, Robert Jones took me on my first hunt, like ever, because I didn't know what I was doing, didn't really know anyone that was into upland hunting, but had followed him because he was in California and reached out to him and was like, hey, like, I don't know what I'm doing. You have English setters. I have this puppy that doesn't know what she's doing. Um, Can you help me out? So we, uh, so I drove a few hours away to meet up with him and we went out um, and just uh, couldn't connect on birds, unfortunately. But, you know, I was quickly learning that that's what happens (laughs) sometimes. Um, so yeah, I did that and then just kind of reached out to a few other people to like, kind of help me learn what to do and then made friends with this really great friend, uh, in Nevada, his name's Yubi and he 
focused a lot on checker hunting was like this is the best thing ever and so went really hard with that and um got my first bird <laughs> with him so. so when you were going out with robert on some of these other species and not necessarily connecting uh, what was something that brought you kept bringing you back or did you have concern or, or or did you question whether or not it was interesting or fun enough to keep uh, going yeah so i mean i will definitely say that there were moments that i was feeling very discouraged like oh my god it it really kicked in that i didn't know what i was doing or didn't know how to like find birds and i was just like i had this ongoing joke that i'm just like terrible luck because i was going out with um certain people that were really good at what they do obviously very like like proven that they've hunted many sure. species uh and going out with them and then they take me to their good spots and then we just wouldn't see anything and i was like okay it's probably me <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah uh so did that a little bit oh sorry this update thing from that sorry i just got a pop up on my computer um yeah so that was like discouraging, but overall, at the end of the day, I would just take everything as a learning experience and not let it knock me down and um, just realize like how much fun my dog would have out there running around and just be like, you know what, this is at least great exercise for dogs. I love being outside. So this is a way to get me outside and seeing things that um, I probably wouldn't just randomly go out and do. Um, so I just kept working at it. And even just seeing like signs of birds, like poop or like feathers or tracks, like it was so exciting to me. I was like, okay, I'm in the right spot. You know? So yeah. That's fun. So I've never personally been chucker hunting before, right? I've read all the stories and it's definitely on my list. Um, so I, I'm super jealous of the fact that, you know, not only have you done it, but you found success. Mm -hmm. Tell us the story of that first chucker hunt and how, you know, just the experience and then what that felt like actually connecting after some, some attempts and, and, you know, I don't, I want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like struggles a little bit to, mm -hmm. to then finally cross the finish line and be, you know, have a bird in your hand. Tell us, a, tell us that story. Um, so I will say that like what everyone says about Chucker, the first times for fun, second times for revenge is like totally, <laughs> totally right. Um, I had gone out actually with a different friend, um, that I had just made. It was another female that posted on some Facebook group about wanting to go out Chucker hunting. Her name was Anna. And I tagged along with her first. We went to this new spot um and we did find birds she was able to connect on i think one or two birds and i was just working my ass off trying to like get get a bird and just like bumping them with my dog that you know is still a puppy is not very steady um so we were just bumping birds like left and right but like too far out and i was just missing shots and just getting really discouraged um but it was like the first like consistent time that I'd seen a good amount of birds and was like running into birds. So I felt really like addicted to wanting a mm. chucker because I was like, finally I'm seeing birds. <laughs> like, this is great. Um, so I spent a weekend out there doing that with her and um, didn't get one the first time around. And so went back with that friend that I was talking about, UB, uh, I think the following weekend or so. And that spot also had valley quail there um 
And, but I had it said in my heart that I was like, no, I need to get a chucker. <laughs> uh, so we actually, the first birds we did flush were quail. And I like, didn't even take a shot. Cause I was like, no, this is what I'm here for. Like I worked this hard for a chucker. I need this to be like my first up and bird kind of thing. It was, I don't know, stubbornness. Um, but yeah, so we went out and I just, it lined up. I had a good shot opportunity. They, uh, we were walking up the ridge and I took a shot and got a bird and it was the most wonderful thing. It, it was honestly like, I was super happy, but it was more like relief. Like, okay, I can do this. Like I can mm. shoot birds. This is great. Um, and then it was like also really wonderful. Like I was way more excited about the work that my dog did that day though. Like she mm. was like backing points with like my friend's dogs and then like, re like retrieving and it, just felt really, really like solidifying for me because I did not know what I was doing with her training and it was just kind of coming together naturally for her. So yeah, it was very great. Uh, tell us about the landscape of um, where you found that chucker. What, uh, it, 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 the things I've read about the, um, the terrain, you know, it just sounds so beautiful and so rugged and mm -hmm. but also a little bit of dangerous for the dog you know like was it like that um yeah i would say it it was pretty rugged for sure i mean there's a, a lot of the the rocks and everything mm -hmm. um and high elevation and um just very steep obviously um my dog took it like a champ she didn't get cut up paws or anything luckily she's so light on her feet. I would say mm. just the wonderful thing about English letters is they're so hardy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was definitely just pretty dry for the most part. Obviously they need a water source. So there was sure. a small water source, but um, really hot and dry and rocky. <laughs> and I was definitely falling over a lot. I'm not the like most stable person. So I actually fell on a branch one of the times and got like a piece of branch stuck in my leg. <laughs> yeah, it it's pretty, pretty hardcore. Um, also, it made me really like, uh, I don't know, I, I bought a really nice gun as my first upland gun. It's the silver pigeon. And I was just feeling so guilty about how much I've been beating it up going checker hunting because it's like flying out of my hand and hitting rocks. And I probably should have gotten like a a cheaper gun to beat up, kind of <laughs> but it's a good gun, whatever. <laughs> um, I was able to go on my first chucker hunt last season. And as someone who spends a lot of time walking the prairies, the rolling hills of the prairies and, uh, you know, wheat stubble fields for huns, I was mm. not prepared. <laughs> I yeah. was not prepared for the terrain um, but that was the first time that I've ever, cause I, I ended up shooting one chucker and, um, it was in Montana. There's one area of Montana where there's some chucker. And after, when I had that bird in my hand, I mean, my legs were shaking. I was so excited. My, you know, my, my mm. hands were shaking. There was just so much adrenaline because it just seems like there's so much anticipation that builds from climbing all those hills and falling down and getting beat yeah. up. And, uh, and then you finally connect on a shot over good dog work. And, um, I mean, it is, it's a whole nother level up from, from pheasant <laughs> hunting. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the adrenaline is re really like kept me going. Like there were so many times that first talk that I went on, like, 
was climbing these hills and it was just super hot and I'm like breathing so hard and about to pass out. And I'm just like, oh my God, what am I even doing here? Like, what, like, why am I running these hills? Mm. And then I would like flush a bird and then it would like, like peak my adrenaline back up and I was ready to like run after them again and like not even worry that I was like tired a second ago. And it just like, was yeah it felt crazy <laughs> uh, do you remember how you prepared that first chuck or that first bird how, how you ate it uh yeah i actually um i had made a curry with the chucker that i that i had it was really good a nice yellow curry with like potatoes onions carrots yeah it was great <laughs> outstanding that yeah seems super i, I always think that's such an important component of it you know you you, you spent so much time and, you know, exercise and, and, and it sounds like multiple, multiple hunts mm -hmm. to get to the point where you have that bird in your hand and to really enjoy a special meal around it. And it sounds like you did with, with a, you know, really fun curry preparation. That's cool. Yeah. It's been a really cool way to like get really into cooking too, by mm -hmm. trying out these different recipes with wild birds. Right on. So you go from chuckers to then what? Um, I think after that, well, so yeah, that season I was kind of, it's funny cause I wanted to start with something easier, but then got really into chucker hunting and then was like a little more successful with chucker just because um, I tried for like valley quail a few times. Just everyone was like, oh yeah, that's like an easier quail species, but just having a hard time like getting into them and um, they're kind of like in more open landscapes than chucker, obviously. Um, and it was like harder for my brain to like want to walk a big open field and think that I'm just going to like run into birds with my huh. dog. That's not like, I'm not super confident in her yet. Yeah. Um, but then taking the knowledge I learned from chucker hunting and knowing like, okay, this mountain I have to climb really sucks and it's going to be awful to get up there. But with the right conditions, you know, seeing the cheatgrass, having the water source, whatever, there's, I'm pretty much guaranteed to find birds up that mountain. I just have to do the work to get up there. Wow. Um, okay. That's a cool yeah. perspective. That, yeah, it, that's just how I felt about it. So you're, so you're sort of looking at this field where it potentially could be valley quail and you're like needle in a haystack. Yeah. They can so be anywhere. <laughs> I'm going to go up the mountain and find the right <laughs> recipe. That's crazy. Yeah. As a, yeah, and it worked. It worked. I did find Chucker that way, obviously. Um, so I kind of just stuck with that because I was like, okay, this is like for sure. Um, and then I went on a mountain quail hunt with some friends um, after chasing Chucker like pretty much all season. Um, and yeah, we found two mountain quail that day and me and my friend each took a shot at those two mountain quail and luckily i mean i at first injured mine and was like th thought i didn't hit it at all and so we mm. relocated it the whole thing but uh yeah we got the only two mountain quail that we saw that day so that was also really cool <laughs> and was that your first ever mountain quail hunt um that was the first mountain quail that I'd ever seen. I think I had yeah. tried to like look for them a different time and just again didn't find anything. Gotcha. But yeah, first mountain quail. In, in photography, they're gorgeous birds. Oh uh, yeah. What do they look like in your hand? 
Uh, they're bigger than I expected they would be. I heard they're like the bigger quail species, mm-hmm. um, but they just look, I don't know, so beautiful. Like the colors on them, like the browns and the kind of like bluish gray is just so pretty to me. Yeah, they're super beautiful birds. And and do you remember your mountain quail dinner? I didn't cook it because I took it to a taxidermist. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so, cool. Yeah, it's my first quail. So. so you really liked the the you, obviously you, you liked how they looked to yeah. try to memorialize it. Yeah, definitely. And I just felt like it was it would be a nice uh, memorial just because I was leaving California shortly after that. Um, and, you know, they're so prevalent in California. So it'd be nice to have that, like, memorialized. <laughs> right on. So then from, you said you're you're leaving California. So I'm assuming in, this is in the story where you make the big move north. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had just done... <laughs> That mountain quail hunt was like my last hunt before I was leaving for Alaska. And it was like probably like a week or less than a week before I was about to move. So it was like a really nice, like successful ending to my season in California. And then I had uh, went chucker hunting one more time too before I left and got a chucker. So that was really great. <laughs> so Alaska is a big state. <laughs> where, oh, yeah. where, where, in Ala- where in Alaska did you move to? Uh, the middle of nowhere in Fairbanks. <laughs> no, it's a it's a pretty bigger, not big city, but it's it's a big enough city for Alaska. But it is an interior Alaska, so pretty far away from a lot of other stuff, I guess. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, I six hours north of Anchorage. Yeah. So you're you just kind of picked up this new experience to chase birds with your center mm-hmm. and you're starting to have success. Chuckers and mountain quail. And then you up and moved into Alaska. Yeah. And I'm assuming you brought your center with you. Of course. So what's the conversation in your mind about keeping this going as a bird hunter? Um well, so I had always wanted to go to Alaska. I honestly didn't do very much research before moving here, but I did know, obviously, it's very well known for all the hunting and fishing that goes along up here. Um, it's not super well known for bird hunting, but it's just because there's so many big game hunters that don't care about anything else but big game. But I did know that there it was, you know, birds up here to hunt. Um and it was kind of a spur of the moment decision. I was going through this life change thing and like within two weeks was just like, I'm just going to move to Alaska. I think that's just <laughs> the right decision for me. It'll be fine. Cause it was like, I, this is my chance now or else I don't know when it'll ever happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I moved up here and second day I was here, walked into the fish and game office, got my hunting and fishing license. And they had this really cool poster of the, upland hunting that they have here with like all the birds and the different like um, shaded regions of where those birds are. And that was really exciting to see. So I can do a little research with what birds are up here. Um, and then just started asking around like I had done in California and had success with that. So <laughs> just getting connected with the people up here and learning about the bird hunting up here. And yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm curious for like the, the first time you and Sam went out to to hunt on your own, you know, out there in Alaska. 
what did that feel like? Because I know here, when I moved from Michigan to North Dakota, and the first time my little eight-month-old Cocker Spaniel and I went out (laughs) to go upland hunt together, I just had a moment where it was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that I'm here and I don't know what I'm doing and let's see what happens. So what, what was that first hunt like for you? Um, so the first hunt that was my first unsuccessful hunt up here, which was in the first week that I had gotten here, it, it was more just kind of getting out to explore, but I, I was really, uh, it was a real slap in the face with how cold it is here <laughs> and how little daylight we had. Cause I moved up here mid January. Um, so I went out with my dog. We uh, drove a couple hours away up in the Steese mountains. Um, and we went to go look for time again. And I, I didn't bring snowshoes or anything. I didn't think about any of that. Um, I just went out in winter gear and my dog was just, Sam was just sinking in the snow and like doing like roll like rolling over the all over the place and falling and just couldn't get a grip on anything because of how deep the snow was and I'm like climbing knee deep through snow with my gun just like I don't know what I'm doing here um and it was like I think maybe between zero and 10 degrees and so like my hair my eyelashes everything's just like freezing up so, uh, yeah, no, it was just really cold, but like so beautiful and so surreal. Like the pinks and blue in the skies were just like so pretty. And I was just really happy to be there and um, was just really excited to start looking for birds. But uh, so our first successful hunt, though, um, I had actually gone with my roommate. Um, she's She went up to go hunt caribou. And so I did my first winter camping trip out there um, along the same mountains. And we camped down like a couple miles down in this little valley and uh, which we could only access through like snow machine. It's a lot of snow up there. Hmm. Um, And we wake up that morning and it was kind of like a really gray morning. We're kind of like feeling down about like how cold it was and just like how not nice of a day it really was. Um, And she actually went to go pee like near these willows and all of a sudden we heard like birds flush. And so I rushed my ass out of the tent. I throw on all my gear and I like couldn't get ready fast enough, threw my snowshoes on and off me and Sam went to go look for those birds that she had just flushed. (laughs) Um, So we start walking and again, it's like, I, I had snowshoes this time, but even then I'm sinking in past my knees in the snow. It was just awful. (laughs) And, um, I'm just like trying to get a grip without like falling over constantly. And uh, we finally find some birds and they just bump. And I like missed some shots. And I honestly just kept bumping this covey like down the willows, like further and further. And at one one of the times I bumped them, I knew I had injured a bird or like I saw one go down, but like, I just, once again, I'm sinking up to my knees and just trying to like find this bird and like, it was just really, really hard. Um, so I was like, okay, screw that bird. I'll maybe look for it on the way back. I'm going to keep looking for these birds that I keep bumping. Um, and so we're chasing them. And finally, they had enough of my shit and flew like way up the mountain, just far out of reach. 
And I was like, oh man, like I just lost all my opportunity at hunting those ptarmigan. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I just felt really discouraged again. I was like, oh my God, like I suck. Uh, and even part of me was like, well, do I try to go up that mountain? And like, as I'm sinking even further and further as I'm trying to walk up, I was like, okay, let's be real. I'm not going to be able to make it all the way up there. Those birds are just laughing at me. Um, so we hunt our way back and uh, my dog finds the bird that I had downed previously and it was just really really wonderful that i had found the one bird that i shot that day <laughs> so yeah yeah that's that's always a good feeling to be able to recover a bird that you thought you had lost i know i yeah i always just feel such a wave of relief when bridger comes up to me and is oh, just absolutely thrilled that he found this little treasure out in the field and yeah yeah especially feeling. that was like my first time seeing ptarmigan and like i did have a couple opportunities to shoot one and just like missed and was just so overwhelmed with like all the factors of the snow and my dog and these birds that I had never seen that were just so magical to me. And uh, yeah, so it was just like really humbling that like I did finally get a bird and it was, it was great. And that was also really nice too, because I was, I had planned to go the following week, I think uh, down to meet with Scott um, to hunt down in Anchorage with him. And he was going to kind of show me, the ropes of how to ptarmigan hunt, but it felt really great that I was able to get my first just on my own with just me and my dog. So yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's, I, I notice as you tell these stories, you have a really interesting network of lots of different mentors and some yeah. of them, it feels like some of, some of these folks, you know, pretty well. And then some folks that I get the sense that you maybe only know them over the um, Facebook or Instagram. Mm -hmm. And then yet you're comfortable enough to go and actually meet in person for the first time on a hunt. Um, talk about that. Like you're relatively new hunter, but you know, the, the strength of your network is, it feels like what keeps bringing you back out. And even some of that network, you don't really even know until you get into the field together. Yeah, I am so grateful for like the upland hunting community on social media. Like it has helped me tremendously. Um, just I can, you know, just message someone and say like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing and I need help. And I'm going to ask you a million questions. And I know you don't know me, but can you please <laughs> answer all of these questions that I have that like maybe I could Google, but it's really nice to be able to hear it like firsthand experiences and kind of get a better feel for what I'm getting into. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's worked for me really, really well. Um, and I would definitely say reaching out to people that are doing what you want to be doing is the best way to like learn um how to get into things uh but yeah i have been able to just message people and um go out hunting with strangers on the internet which kind of <laughs> sounds <laughs> right because <laughs> that's in my mind you were talking about i think the first time this came up was in your story of anna and it sounded mm -hmm. like you'd not met anna only through facebook and you're like uh -uh. and i was thinking to myself like okay i'm a gen xer <laughs> and I'd have a hard time going on a hunt. Like the first time I met somebody would be a hunt. I'd be mm -hmm. worried just about safety, about my dogs. Just it's, 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 it's an intimidation 
it, but for you, it, it feels like that's critical to kind of the dynamic that you've built. And, and it, it seems sort of natural for your personality too. Yeah, I mean, it's worked so far with Anna too. It's funny because yeah, I had never met her and we met like, so we're both from California, but we uh, met at a gas station in <laughs> in Nevada in like uh, Reno area at like four in the morning. And we're like, let's go drive to the spot where there's no reception and we're just gonna run around with guns and die. <laughs> I mean, she's great. I'm really glad that I was able to meet her. But yeah, there's a lot of times, I mean, a lot of the hunting spots we go to don't have reception. So I just mm. got to hope that the person I'm meeting up with isn't some crazy person, but maybe yeah. I'm the crazy person. <laughs> I don't know. I tend to maybe not make those decisions, but it's worked out so far. <laughs> I think, I think that's one of the things that initially impressed me and continues to impress me the most about you, Riley, is that, you know, you don't sit around and, and wait for someone to take you. You're actively reaching out to people, asking questions, but also putting in the work, you know, showing up mm -hmm. ready to walk for hours without seeing birds and not getting discouraged and not expecting things to just be handed to you on a silver platter, you know, um, you're, you're willing to reach out and make those connections, but most importantly, you're willing to show up and put the effort in. Yeah, absolutely. I just really hope I can one day return the favor because I think it's really wonderful that these people that don't know me are willing to like take me out to the hunting spots that they've worked hard to find and show me the birds that they've hunted and just tell me what to do and tell me what I'm doing wrong also. Mm. Like, even with Scott, the first hunt I went on with him, not only did he have to like kind of teach me about ptarmigan and their cover and how and yeah how they work, but he also had to teach me how to like hunt on skis, mm -hmm. which I I'd been on skis when I was like a kid a long time ago, but had never done any sort of like cross country skiing. So he threw me this pair of skis to borrow and gave me a brief like lesson on how it works and. I just had to kind of help figure that out. <laughs> well, so I'm super interested in this because I love cross-country skiing. And I have tried to shoot, but uh, I've tried to combine the two, right? Shock, uh, wing <laughs> yeah. shooting and cross-country skiing. And I absolutely suck. Because um, for me, footwork is so incredibly important on being able to swing on a bird. So how do you do it? How do you combine the two? Uh, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert by any means. I yeah. missed so many shots that day. <laughs> I And the funny thing is I told Scott, I was like, yeah, like it's it's been hard every time I go on hunts with people. Like we kind of don't see birds. So sorry if I'm bad luck. And I gave him that whole speech which did not happen with him at all. Like we saw plenty of birds, but I was, and I told him too, I was like, I think I'm a pretty good shot. I haven't had a whole lot of shot opportunities, but I've been able to connect with birds when I do see birds, you know, like, so it'll be like, I only took three shots that day, but was still able to get a bird. So I was like, okay, I can't be that bad. Um, but when I went with him, luckily, I mean, it was really nice because the ptarmigan hold like so well, but I'm having to like ski over to them and then like kind of prepare myself, but not really know how to prepare myself. And then they would like flush certain wind, like my whole body would twist and I would right. just, like, shoot wildly and like, just not like thinking I was preparing for it. But then when in reality, when they flush, like 
just not feeling like comfortable with my body and being able to like move on skis and then also just falling over a bunch. So yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a sport shooting on skis is something I'd like to get way better at this season because it is a much better way to travel through the snow than snowshoes. So I, I definitely need to figure that out better <laughs> this season. Yeah, right. Uh, you could cover so much ground on skis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it is so much fun. Compared, snowshoes are fun, but, I mean, it's like slogging um, through the, the snow. It's just tough. Yeah, it's super tough. Um, so I've asked you about um, chucker and mountain quail meals. So I got to ask you, ptarmigan, how, how'd you prepare your ptarmigan? Um, the ptarmigan, I did a, um, like a black bean garlic sauce stir fry with like, uh, I don't know, with a, sorry, broccoli and just cut up ptarmigan pieces. I had like six that day and um, I was making a meal for a lot of people. So I just oh. made this big stir fry thing and how, shared is, my ptarmigan with people. Is ptarmigan a red meat? Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty, I would say pretty dark. Cool. Again, another bird on my wish list that you've, uh, you've been able to experience. I, that, the, the thing <laughs> for me with ptarmigan is I, I want to do it with my own dogs and, mm-hmm. um, you know, close circuit to all our listeners. Alaska's a long ways from Minnesota, so I haven't made it there mm-hmm. yet. <laughs> Yeah, Alaska's really far. I I would say if you are going to ever make that drive, I would personally recommend not doing it midwinter. I learned a lot <laughs> through that drive. Being a California girl with no winter driving experience, it was definitely a, a huge learning curve. And then you, you've also hunted spruces, right? Oh yeah, um, on one of the ptarmigan hunts we went on uh, when we were walking back through the woods, like we found some spruce grass that I was fortunate shoot i i mean i'm really excited to go after some sprucies this season but uh they're I, everyone makes fun of them as being like the dumb bird and there's so many here that it's not like that cool or whatever but i'm excited to hunt them and i, they, I hear they give good dog work opportunities for young mm-hmm. dogs so yeah <laughs> i'm excited about that so that's the one bird that I can share with you because I got my first Brucey last year and they're oh nice they're just beautiful I I and I thought they I, are I thought that you know they get a bad rap as not being very tasty yeah and that too I I had a young one and it was out of this world good and just gorgeous and you know it, you're right they they tend to play nice for pointing dogs which mm-hmm. which always uh is, you know is a check in their favor but i just love spruce grouse they're just gorgeous i think they're super cool and yeah i think they're one of the prettier grouse species to me at least i think they have really cool coloring yeah so yeah i love them you know so, people people say a lot of times too that sharp tail aren't very good to eat i'm always very wary of people who who claim certain things aren't aren't good to eat uh game species because for the most part, I tend to think that they probably overcook a lot mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they aren't doing things like curry or stir fry or, or utilizing it like you would other types of meat where you're taking a little bit more time to prepare it. They're mm-hmm. they're probably putting minimal effort into the thought and preparation. Yeah. 
to the game. So I'm always very skeptical when people say yeah. that certain things aren't good to that. eat because I want to know <laughs> what type of yeah. cook are you before I put yeah. any stock into that opinion. So this journey you've been on, you know, in terms of the duration of it, are we talking, say, the last two years, last three years, or has it been longer than that? Uh, for this hunting thing? Yeah, um, yeah, being a bird hunter. Being a bird hunter, I would say it started, let's see, last year's 2020. I would say it started um, at the very end of 2019. I had actually just gotten my shotgun um, the day after pheasant season closed (laughs) in California. So that was out of the picture. But I had um, kind of actually turned to doing some duck hunting just to get a little other experience Mm. with ducks. and so the, the end of 2019, I think I focused more on like ducks and tried to go out for birds and just, it didn't really happen. And my dog was young and all the excuses in the book, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but last, I would say last season was my first like full season, giving it a go with a dog that was a little gotcha. more workable. Um, so yeah, I would say like, like a year. <laughs> so <laughs> so year. when you think about that and, you know, a year, year and a half, um, what 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 comes to mind for you in terms of challenges, accomplishments, how it's changed you or shaped the way you 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 think? Like what's when I ask a really broad, big question like that, <laughs> you know, what comes to mind? How do you answer that? Um, well, I would say that uh, I am now whenever I try to plan future trips bird hunting is usually involved in those like trips in my mind now, which obviously that wouldn't have been the case a couple (laughs) years ago. Um, But like, especially for Alaska too, um, it's a big thing for people to go on vacations in the wintertime because there's so much darkness in Mm. like December and it's too cold and all of that. So now I'm kind of like planning around like being able to go back down the lower 48 and hunt different species in other States, hopefully during the time of year where, I can't really do the hunting up here so much. Um, yeah, <laughs> basically that. And uh, I mean, I definitely wouldn't be in Alaska, I think, if it hadn't been for getting into hunting. <laughs> what What was the most, what was the biggest hurdle you had to overcome? Uh, while moving up here? No, no, or bird hunting. In, in bird hunting? Um, I would say... Just being like comfortable and confident enough to go out on my own and figure it out on my own. Because like I said, I mean, I did reach out to a lot of different people and I still am doing so because I feel so new and not like knowledgeable enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I am getting more and more confidence, like being able to like find habitat on my own and figure out how to hunt certain birds um, on my own for the most part. I still... Mm -hmm bother the shit out of like <laughs> my friends that are up here and just like ask like is this like a good time of day to go hunting and what if I see this on the ground or like what is this food for <laughs> sending like a bunch of pictures and yeah I'm glad that they put up with me honestly I see Emily on their screen here as we're talking and so much during this conversation Emily's nodding her head in affirmation and so you're 
you're seeing yourself or you're hearing some of the same um, things that you've gone through before in, in Riley's story, aren't you, Emily? Yeah. So, and I actually, I wrote an article about this for the Pheasants Forever journal, um, but just kind of the process behind figuring out what to do when it comes to upland bird hunting, um, whether it's you're brand new to all of upland hunting or you're brand new to a certain species. Um, that's something I, through learning on my own, but also through mentoring other people, um, I have tried to figure out what are, you know, what are the most important questions that I need to answer as a mentor or that I need to ask as someone who's pursuing a new species. Um, so things like, you know, what are their droppings look like? What does a roost look like? What time of day should I be hunting this type of cover? And what, how does that change throughout the day? How does different types of weather affect their patterns throughout mm. the day? Um, you know, what is it like when they flush like chucker where they're typically it's a, it's a descending shot. Um, you know, all these different questions that, Oh, I think a large part of mentorship that people overlook is just the ability to communicate very clearly as a mentee and a mentor, you know, asking the right questions and being able to provide answers. Because a lot of the times when I talk to people and even for myself, when I'm asking people questions, I don't want you to send me a GPS pin. You mm -hmm. know, I don't want a coordinate on where I can go shoot a bird. I I want to be able to figure it out on my own. I want to do it over my dogs. Um, and I just need a little bit of help in figuring out where to start. So mm -hmm. that's where a lot of the things that you've been saying this whole time, I'm like, okay, well, I, I, I at least was on to, onto the right track anyway with, with this article and with mm -hmm. this line of thinking uh, where, you know, there's so many important questions that a lot of times people don't even know what to ask. You know, they they reach out for help, but they don't know specifically what questions to ask to get the answers that are going to help them be successful without someone just showing them, you know, hmm. a, a, a pin or a place on a map to go. So let me try out an analogy on both of you and see if you think it, it resonates. So, you know, when you're driving somewhere and somebody else is telling you exactly where to go, giving you the directions, turn left, turn right, two miles, turn here. When you get back in the vehicle to go back home, you're like, I got no idea. I was following your directions completely. So I, I relate that comparatively to, generally speaking, a person that grew up bird hunting. Mom, dad, uncle, grandpa, sort of took you to the place, you sort of followed along. And then as you grow older, you, it's not entirely the same, but you, you still have to start figuring things out, right? Whereas the advantage in some respects of learning to hunt as an adult, you don't, you have mentors, but they're not the same as the way you are with as a child following mom or dad, 
driving that vehicle, right? Bird hunting. Like I can remember both my mom and my dad hunted and sort of follow along. But then I, I listened to how Riley talks about as becoming a bird hunter as an adult and like thinking about water source and habitat and climbing the mountain. She has much stronger problem solving skills than I did as an 11 year old. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's a little bit of, you know, I was sort of pre-programmed to hunt. So I was that driver that was just following directions and a person that has taken the time to figure out exactly how to get to from point A to point B is a little bit like that, um, that adult onset hunter, i.e. Riley. And you're learning things at a, a much faster clip than I did mm -hmm. as a youngster. A la, you were able to, you know, bag a trucker, they go to a mountain quail, then go to a target. <laughs> but, but I think the moral of that story is, you know, for folks that are listening that are like a little bit older and somewhat intimidated by getting into this, the beautiful thing is there are, like you said, there's a wealth of people in the Upland community that want to help. And you're more, you're better equipped than I was as an 11 year old <laughs> Absolutely. to learn to figure it out. Does that, does that <laughs> analogy work for you, you two? Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I mean, it's, it, it is really nice to having all the tools that we have in this day and age with being able, like, I mean, not even just like the connections through social media, but I mean, we have apps like Onyx to show us where we're even allowed to hunt, right? You know? Which right. is big for California. <laughs> I was like terrified to even have a gun with me in a lot of spots, but being able to like see, like, oh no, this is huntable land. Like, I'm safe to have a loaded gun here. This is great, <laughs> which is funny too, because in Alaska, I keep like, I took that like, PTSD with me of like, oh my God, I'm not allowed to have a gun around anywhere mm. to Alaska and nobody cares. You can kind of just like hunt wherever for the most part. And I don't know, people like look at me funny when I'm like, wait, I can shoot there. <laughs> right, right. It's almost like where can't I go in Alaska, yeah. Alaska right? Well, and yeah. you're, you're right on about tools like Onyx. Um, it, it absolutely has changed the game for just that comfort level and well, their tagline, know where you stand. I might as well throw out the, the, the code, right? If, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to use the code quail or you want to use the code pheasant, you can take 20% off your Onyx subscription this year. If you go to Onyx and use pheasant or quail and get 20% off. So Riley, thank you for mentioning Onyx, a very natural, <laughs> natural transition. Um, so as we, as we, head towards closing this particular episode. Riley, it's been fascinating. Um, what's next for you? What What's on the horizon for the season ahead? Uh, well, I hope to chase a lot of ptarmigan and hopefully get some new grouse species under my belt. Um, specifically, I would really love to hunt some rough grouse since there's supposed to see, be some around me. I haven't seen one yet, but I definitely think that'll be something that I will see this season. Um, aside from that, just, I mean, yeah, aside from that Alaska lifestyle stuff, I might be helping build my own cabin to live <laughs> in the center. <laughs> so that's like whole other stuff, but yeah, just a lot of Alaska stuff. Do you have any, trips. I, 
Do you have okay. any trips to head back to California? Um, not anytime soon, at least. Uh, I would like to go there and hunt some more again and obviously see some friends that I love. But I think I'm more interested in, in hunting other states now that I got some of those California species out of the way. So, yeah. Cool. Um, Emily, final thoughts from you. I, I am ready to pack my bags and become Riley's next roommate. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> uh, no, I just, I really appreciate the chance to be able to talk to Riley and hear your story. Um, like I said, at the start of this, I don't think you realize how impressive of a person you are. I mean, uh, you're, you're brave and um, you've got a lot of gumption and, um, it's been really fun to be able to to follow your story and to be able to hear some more more details about it. Thank you so much. Yeah, I hope I can keep living up to that standard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll I'll echo Emily. Super entertaining conversation with you, and it, you do have I like I like Emily's word gumption. You know that um, you know. It, it's not easy in this day and age to take up something new and, you know, particularly just something like bird hunting, you have all the, the shotguns, the public private access, you know, the, there's just a lot of things that could intimidate a person and you're a great role model for folks that are interested in giving it a shot. And, um, you know, I, Emily, I know you're super active on Instagram and in welcoming questions and, um, people asking questions just like Riley has asked. So if I can, I'll ask both Emily and, and Riley to throw out your, your Instagram handles if you're comfortable uh, fielding questions from from the broader Upland uh, community and the pheasant, <laughs> Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever audience. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Instagram at EC Spoliar um, or just type in Emily Spoliar. There's not very many of us out there, so I'm pretty easy to find. Cool. And then, uh, yeah, my Instagram is nuclear.flower. Uh, yeah, feel free to ask me any questions about being new into upland hunting. I don't have a whole lot of uh, knowledge besides that, I would say. <laughs> but I think you have more knowledge than you give yourself credit for. Where <laughs> where does nuclear.flower come from? Where How'd you think of that? Uh, it's been my Instagram handle for a few years. It was back from when I, I was living like in a punk warehouse in LA and it was just like this punk reference thing. <laughs> so cool. <yeah. laughs> cool. Um, I'm, I'm a punk rock fan from way back, but probably a different sound than you like. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of subgenres. <laughs> I, I, I'm the Green Day era. Ah, so. uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a little different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that goes back to my Madonna comment, apparently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Riley, thank you so much for spending time with us. It's been really yeah, fun conversation. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> and if anybody wants to talk about old music, you can find me on Instagram at, <laughs> at Pheasant Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, thanks for making time to join me. This really fun idea and uh, keep keep the ideas coming for future podcasts. Will do. Thank you, Bob. 
All right, folks, I am Pheasant Bob or Bob St. Pierre. Uh, thanks for listening to this edition of On the Wing podcast. And I'll remind you always follow the dog, something good will rise. Thanks for listening, folks. <laughs>